All right, hey guys, welcome to another episode of Pursuing Jesus Podcast. My name is Shane Winnings, and this is episode 10, talking about Paul's thorn and uh, healing. That's kind of going to be the focus of this. What was Paul's thorn? We're at a 2 Corinthians 12. I believe that Paul's thorn was not sickness, and I'm going to make a case for why. First, I want to thank you for listening, guys. We reached over 110,000 people last year. We've already hit 30,000 in the month of January. This is insane. If we keep that up, we're looking at reaching uh, over 360,000 people this year. So over three times as much as last year. So guys, thank you so much for listening. Keep sharing the podcast. I I shared that uh, last year we were in the top 1% of all shared podcasts on Spotify. There's a lot. I'm talking, Joe Rogan is in that list and we're in the top 1%. So please keep sharing the podcast if these episodes speak to you. And finally, quickly, I'm looking for 85 more partners. We already have 15 people. So blessed by those 15. Thank you guys for signing up. We need 85 more partners to hit our goal for the year of $30 a month. That's $1 a day. I'm doing a tour with Sean Foyd. It's coming out. We're starting next month. It's coming up next month already, um, going all across the nation. Uh, I have speaking engagements myself, and I want to get some staff. I want to hire a videographer. I'd love to have someone editing all this stuff. I do all of this by myself. So if we could raise $30 a month from 85 more people, we could make this happen. Send me a DM on Instagram if you're willing so I can include you on the monthly Zoom. But to sign up, just go to shanewinnings.com and click on the Give button in the upper right-hand corner. You can set up an auto-withdrawal. Make sure you send me that DM um, so I can include you in the Zooms. And again, thank you. Thank you for considering. Thank you guys for signing up. So we are at a 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Now I want to preface this. In chapter 11, we get about halfway through, and Paul begins to talk about persecution. He's saying, look, I'm not here to boast, but if I'm going to boast in anything, I want to show you guys, I've gone through a lot of stuff. Um, He's specifically in chapter 20, or in in verse 22, he starts getting into this, labors more abundant, stripes above measure, prisons more frequently, deaths often. Uh, From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and a night I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, perils in the sea, perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil and sleeplessness, often in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things, what comes upon me daily? my deep concern for all the churches. And then he says this, If I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. Now he just listed what that is. And guys, this is what has happened is people see that word infirmity and they go, Oh, sickness, Paul, you know, he had an eye thing or he had the infirmity. If you look up that word, go do a study on that word in that passage. This is why it's so important to know what they were really saying, because the word is not infirmity as we know it. It is weakness. He says, I will boast in the things which concern my weakness. And he just listed all of the things that make him weak. 
this whole passage here is about Paul being persecuted and it making him weak. But he says, in the Lord, he is made strong. So then we get into to chapter 12 here. And he begins talking about, um, again, I will not boast in, except in my infirmities, except in my weaknesses. And then he says this, uh, verse 7, chapter 12, And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelation, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, that means to oppose, lest I be exalted above measure. Now, who gave him the messenger? Was it God? Did God hand it out? Well, it doesn't say that. It says a messenger of Satan. Is God subcontracting Satan to send a messenger to Paul? No, I don't think that Satan's on God's payroll so that God can make things happen. It's just like the Pharaoh thing. Like, God didn't subcontract out the devil to come strike Pharaoh. God, in his infinite wisdom, he knows everything that's going to happen. He allows things. He positions things. He, it's all for our good. And if we are his kids, we trust that he sees the bigger picture. And so this being preached that God gave him uh, a thorn in his side, it doesn't say that anywhere. It says, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan. Paul actually specifically says it's a messenger from Satan. So who did it come from? It came from Satan. Okay, here's what he says. Lest I be exalted above measure. He believes that's the motive. The motive is to keep him humble. God didn't tell him that. If he did, it's not written here. He is a wise man. He has a relationship with God, with the Holy Spirit. He's listening, and he perceives and interprets and believes that the reason that he has this thorn is to keep him humble. And again, this whole passage, he's boasting in weaknesses. This is so important. Here we go in verse 8. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Now listen, I think this is important too. He didn't say that I would be healed. I didn't. Uh, he didn't say I pleaded three times that my sickness would go, that God would heal my body, that my, my sickness would leave. He says that it might depart from me. And here's what God said to Paul. My grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul says, Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities, in my weakness, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in weaknesses, in reproaches, in needs, in persecution, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, why is this so important? We can't just take one verse, and this all comes on the heels of, I posted a video about the Chosen where there's a scene that they created that never happened in the Bible, where uh, little James comes to Jesus, again, this is not biblical, and asks him to be healed, and Jesus does not heal him. And he tells him, hey, you know, this is going to be a better testimony. And so I just said, hey, this isn't biblical. This never happened in the Bible. Jesus healed everyone that ever came to him. Everyone he touched was healed. He never wouldn't or couldn't heal. 
And I'm not going to touch on Nazareth in this episode. I will do that tomorrow. I will talk about why Jesus, you know, quote, could do no mighty works in Nazareth, end quote. Um, because it's not because he was unable or unwilling. And I'll just leave that, you know, cliffhanger right there. But one of the responses was, well, Paul asked to be healed three times, and God said no. This is why I'm doing this episode. This is so important, because we have to understand, one, the character of God. And this is a big deal to me. It's not just some small thing, like, look, whether Jesus did or didn't, who cares? No, this we're talking about the integrity of the ministry of Jesus Christ. Did he heal everyone, or did he not? Does Jesus turn people away, or does he not? There is no evidence in the Bible to show that Jesus Christ ever turned anyone away from healing. It is not in his nature. And remember that Jesus is the will of God revealed. He is the visible image of an invisible God. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. These are all his words. And 1 John 4.12 says, No one has seen God at any time. So we can't say, yeah, but God told me this, or I saw that. No. Jesus is God revealed. Only because of Jesus have we truly seen what God is like. So we look at his character. He healed everyone. But what is something that Jesus came talking about? What is something that Jesus promised to those who followed him? Persecution. Jesus said, if you're following me, I need you to know something. You're going to be hated. You're going to be beaten. You're going to be put in jail. Some of you are going to be killed for my namesake, but blessed are you who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. He's talking about persecution. He's promising it to them. This is what you're going to face. Who's ready to go? And so you have Paul out here, and he gets to this point in chapter 11 where he begins to boast in all of his weaknesses. Again, that word infirmity, it doesn't mean sickness. It means weakness. And so people have either preached this as sickness out of a misunderstanding or to make a point, which is incorrect. Infirmity is not sickness, so we put that to bed right now. He's talking about his weaknesses, and he goes on. I mean, it's a whole paragraph of perils and of just being beaten with rods and imprisoned and all this stuff. Everywhere he goes, he is getting rocked. Everywhere he goes, he's getting beat up, jailed, tortured, whatever. And he even says, a messenger from Satan to oppose me. What is persecution? It is opposing you for the very thing that you're there to do. Paul is there to preach. He is being persecuted. He's being opposed by Jews, by Gentiles, by his own countrymen, by everyone. And they're doing all these things to him. And it would stand to reason why he would say, God, please, I just want to go to a country, and I want to preach the gospel and just not get beat this time. Three times he's asking. And God's response would make so much sense regarding persecution. Think about it. God will never remove something that he promised you would go through. Why would God remove persecution when you are promised and you are actually blessed if you are persecuted? God doesn't break his promises. All of the promises of God are yes and amen, and we love that verse. But what about the ones that say, 
you know, like Philippians 1, for to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but to suffer for his sake. Do we like that promise? Do we like the commission that Jesus gave the disciples when he sent them out and he says you're going to be hated, persecuted, some of you will be killed, some of you will be tortured, you'll be thrown in prison? They're going to say all kinds of mean things about you. They're going to scheme against you. Do we like that promise? Not necessarily, but guys, all of God's promises are yes and amen, and he doesn't break a single one. And so Paul's saying, Lord, would you just give me a break here, please? Would you lift this thing? Would you get rid of this person? And again, is the, is the messenger from Satan, is the thorn, is it a person? Because some people refer to a person, I believe that's referenced in Second Timothy. I don't know. I, I don't claim to know. I'm not sure if it's an actual person or if it's the act of persecution. But I do believe it's one of the two. Either way, they serve the same purpose. Whether it's a person coming against him or Paul's just referencing being persecuted in general, it's pretty clear that Satan has sent a messenger to oppose Paul, and he just described right before that everything he went through, and now he's talking about wanting to be delivered from it, and God is saying, hey, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your infirmity, in your weakness. And Paul comes to conclude, when I am weak, then I am strong, because I'm doing all of this for Christ's sake. I don't see any place in there where that thorn could possibly be a sickness. And it doesn't hold near as much weight that Paul would cry out, to have his eye healed while he's getting beat everywhere he goes and he's talking about being weak because of it. The, like the messenger of Satan was coming to give him bad vision or something. Or migraines. No. Paul, was, Paul went through it. And I firmly believe that this passage is referring to Paul's thorn as persecution. I want you to consider this as well. God does not hand out sickness. Like, think about this. Jesus came destroying sickness. In fact, it was a major way that he revealed the kingdom and the power of God to people. And even Paul it, it replicates this. He talks about this in 1 Corinthians, and he says, I didn't come to you with, you know, great speech or anything. I believe it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And he says, I, I came in a demonstration of the power of, of God through the Holy Spirit. He didn't just talk, he demonstrated through miracles. Jesus was not a person of talk, but of demonstration. He showed everywhere he went, he was casting out demons, he was healing the sick, everywhere he went. Why? He's making a statement that sickness is tied to sin. Because of the fall of man, sickness now entered the world because it was never part of God's plan. And so he is making this point. When he, when he goes to the lame man and he says, your sins are forgiven, he's like, look, I have the power to forgive sin and to heal this guy's body. They are the result of the same fall. And I, have, I am Lord over all of it. I have the power over all of it. Now, if God is handing out that sickness and Jesus is coming healing that sickness, then the two are in opposition of each other because Jesus told his disciples, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. There wasn't a caveat in there that was like, except the one sovereignly that I have appointed to people because I'm teaching them a lesson, I'm getting them to grow closer to me, I'm 
using it all in my timing. He doesn't say that. He tells them to go do this. Go heal the sick. And when they couldn't heal the sick, Jesus rebuked them and said, you guys are in unbelief. You need to pray and fast. Because if you believe, you'll do what I did. And Jesus healed the boy. Guys, we need to catch this. There is such a mandate on a Christian life to heal the sick, and we can't keep making excuses for it. Jesus came showing the power in the kingdom of God by healing the sick. Why would he do that to demonstrate God's power if God's the one handing it out in the first place? It doesn't make any sense. And we don't see a place in Scripture where God is sovereignly handing out sickness to humble someone. In fact, what you do see are people that are humbled at the mercy of Jesus Christ to heal, even when they don't deserve it, you know, air quotes there. Jesus touches people who we would say don't deserve it. This is the the love and the scandal of Jesus Christ who would talk with a, a Gentile, who would talk with a Samaritan, who would, who would give time of day to a woman, who would do all of these things in the name of love while never compromising truth. I want to finish with this. Why do some people take things in this direction? After seeing just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of comments on this video I just posted, it's because of experience. Unfortunately, we have allowed human experience to become a theology because we haven't seen everyone healed that we've prayed for. And so we have to make something of that in our minds. And so we go, well, it just, it, it must not be God's will. And then we comb the scriptures or we look for preaching that affirms what we're believing. And someone comes along saying, Paul's thorn was a sickness. Listen, sometimes God is going to give you a sickness to keep you humble, and he's not going to remove it, but he's going to tell you to lean on him. And there's some good advice in there mixed in with bad theology. I want to tell you, God does not sovereignly hand out sickness. In fact, we have the power to destroy sickness living within us if we are Christians because of the Holy Spirit. The only time in the Bible that someone did not see a sickness leave or a demon leave was because they were in unbelief. Now, this isn't me preaching the reason you're sick is because you don't believe. But I'm saying there is a great uh, place and a privilege for us to stand on the Word of God. And Jesus himself said, guys, I, want you to, I, I just want you to picture this. I want you to close your eyes. Imagine the largest mountain that you've ever seen in your life. And if you've never seen one in person, just think of one you've seen on TV. I'm thinking of, you know, Mount Rainier. It's pretty big. It's like 14,411 feet. Jesus said, picture this mountain. He said, if you have faith and you don't doubt, you can speak to this mountain and tell it to move. You can throw it into the sea and it will listen to you. So let me ask you this question as we end this episode. And we'll dive more into this tomorrow on a different angle. Let me ask you this question. Jesus says, if you speak to a mountain and you tell it to move. And guys, he wasn't talking about a hypothetical mountain. They had just watched him curse a tree, and it, it literally withered and died the next day or sometime later, one of the Gospels says. And they marveled over this. And he's like, why are you marveling over this? Listen, let me tell you the power of prayer that you have. He, it wasn't metaphorical. He cursed a literal tree, and it literally died. It withered up. And Jesus says, if you speak to a mountain and you don't doubt, 
it will be done. You can throw it into the sea. Let me ask you one question first. Is Jesus a liar? Of course not. Is Jesus an exaggerator, which is another way of lying, stretching the truth? Was Jesus stretching the truth there? Was he exaggerating to make a point? I don't believe he was. Let me ask you this. Do you genuinely believe that Jesus was telling the truth when he says, if you don't doubt, you could cast this mountain into the sea. You, you, could, you could do greater things than wither a tree like I did. Okay, so now that we have that groundwork laid, let me just ask you a hard question, and I need humble hearts here, or we're going to miss this whole thing because we'll get offended. Is the evidence of faith, the fact that you prayed, is the evidence of faith that you spoke to the mountain? Or is the evidence of faith that the mountain actually moved? you got to be humble to hear this. Jesus makes it clear that doubting will cause the mountain to do nothing. He says, if you pray this and you don't doubt, if you pray this in faith, believing, it says, and you do not doubt, it will be done. So let me ask you, if it isn't done, is it safe to say that there must have been some doubt? Now, here's what people do. You mean to tell me that I doubted? I prayed and prayed. I fasted. I was praying. I was believing. I was belie- I was feeling. I could feel God. I knew that this thing was going to happen, and it didn't happen. You mean to tell me I wasn't believing, that I was doubting? Or here's what else we do. Well, we had the whole church praying. Everyone prayed for my dad. And you mean to tell me that not one person in that church was not doubting, and that's why my dad... Guys, I'm not here being mean. I'm looking at the Scriptures. It says that when you pray and you don't doubt, the mountain will move. So why is it that when we pray and the mountain doesn't move, we throw the word back at God and we say, well, I did my part and God didn't do his, and so it just must have not been his timing. You're not going to find that anywhere in the Bible. In fact, in multiple areas, Jesus mentions praying a prayer of faith, praying, asking God in his will, and then he adds, and you don't doubt, or he adds, and you believe. Even in in the epistles, it says, it talks about a man who doubts is not going to receive anything in prayer. It talks about praying and believing that you've already received it. This isn't some word of faith, you know, name it and claim it crap. This is the words of Jesus who more than once said, if you don't doubt, this thing's going to be done for you. But why is it when we pray and we don't see it happen, we never come back on ourselves and say, man, maybe there was some unbelief in me. Lord, I know I really felt like I was believing for that and I I, I really felt like I'd positioned my heart right. I had my mind fixed on the right things, but we're just not seeing this mountain move. And God, I just humble myself beneath your your glory right now, and and I ask you to make me more like you because I know that, Jesus, if you were here in the flesh, that mountain would be moved, this person would be healed, they'd still be alive, whatever it is. I know that this would happen. And you said that there was a place for me to walk as you walked and believe as you believe and see the way you see. And you told the disciples when they couldn't cast a demon out that they had unbelief and they needed to pray and fast. And so, Lord, I'm going to seek you because I want to see what you saw. When I pray, I want to see people get better. When I pray, I want to see the dead come to life. When I pray, I want to see all demons casted out in your name. 
Guys, why don't we take that position very often? That's a humble position, and we don't like to admit that maybe there's a place for us to grow in our knowledge and in our revelation of who Jesus is, because he sure made that clear to the disciples. The disciples didn't buck up against Jesus and say, you mean to tell us that we didn't have faith and that's why that demon didn't come out? Jesus, you got to be kidding me. We've been out here casting people out two by two, casting out demons, healing the sick. We've been doing all the miracles and all of a sudden we can't cast out one demon. And you're going to tell us we're in unbelief. Seriously. That's how we talk, guys. They never said that. They humbled themselves. They came to him and they said, Lord, why couldn't we do this? They didn't care about saving face. They wanted to know what was wrong with them so that they could be like the one they followed. I'm not sitting here saying your dad, your pastor, your brother is dead because they didn't have faith or because you didn't have faith. If you're hearing that, that's the voice of condemnation. That's not my voice. That's not God's voice. Get that thing out of your head. I'm saying, do you see the great privilege we have to stand on truth, to stand on God's word? And when we don't see something happen, we can run into the arms of a good father who knows everything, who works all things out for our good. And we could say, Lord, I know I didn't see this thing happen, but I still believe in your word above my experience. I still exalt your word above my experience. I still believe that the life of Jesus Christ is better theology than what I'm seeing. And God, I see there's a place for me to grow, and I'm asking you to make me more like you. Come on, that provokes intimacy with God. That's humble. That stays teachable. That says, Lord, help me grow. The other one hardens up and says, well, I guess God just needed another angel. It wasn't his timing. I don't know why some get healed and some don't, but hey, I'm not God, and it's just all up to him, and it's all his will. You won't find a lot of people like that who have good intimacy with the Lord, just being honest. Because 10 years down the road, you're still wondering, well, if they had been alive, we'd be doing this right now, and if they hadn't, and why didn't God, and I just... That's a scary place to be. As opposed to 10 years later saying, you know what? I don't understand all things and and I don't fully understand how thousands of people around the world could pray for one person and they not get better. But you know what? I won't let it compromise my faith. I won't let it compromise my integrity and holding God's word above my experience. And I won't let it change my view of God. God, I know that you didn't take my boy. I know you didn't take my dad, but you certainly received him. And I don't understand all things, but I do still understand that there is an enemy on this earth who seeks to still kill and destroy. And I will not put God in the hot seat seat for a job description matching the devil. I will not blame God for the things the devil has done. I won't point the finger and say, well, why'd you allow and where were you and why didn't I'm not going to put myself in that position. God, I humble myself and I say, if I was closer to you, If I was as close to you as Jesus was, I can see the way you see. You said if my eye is single, my whole body's flooded with light. Lord, help me to keep my eyes fixed on you. I don't want to fall for the lies and the traps and the accusations of the enemy. Help me to walk this thing out with integrity and purity in my heart and my conscience and my mind. Guys, when you humble yourself like that, there is an intimate place to grow. And you know what? I can preach this because I do have a wife who was diagnosed with an incurable disease called epilepsy when she was a young girl, and we've still walked through that. And you know what? I'm not boasting right now, but I'm proud to say that I have maintained, and not just maintained, but I have grown in my belief in God as a healer, even when we have not seen my wife fully delivered yet. 
I have not allowed human experience and watching my wife seize up on the ground change my belief that God is a healer. I refuse to let life experience speak louder than truth because God has already spoken through his word. How dare I change this because something didn't go the way I thought it would. I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be mean, but I'm just being honest here. I'm not talking to someone who hasn't gone through anything. It's probably easy to preach this when you've never faced anything. How about you pray for your best friend who's in a coma and he doesn't wake up? How about you pray for your friend's little boy who got a brain tumor and he dies? How about you pray for your wife and she still has a seizure? Come on, I am preaching from a place of experience here. I'm not inexperienced, but I refuse to let the Word of God submit to my experience and make a new theology and say, well, I guess God just doesn't heal because I've been praying for a lot of sick, and I saw 10 people healed today, but I couldn't heal that boy. I guess God just needed another angel. That is a lie. That is a load of crap, and that is not my God. Can you tell that I'm passionate about this? It's important to me. It's not just another issue. We're talking about the integrity of God and his character. And I happen to believe his word above my own life and experience. And I pray that you catch this revelation as well. Because people who don't just tend to not have as much intimacy with him. They have a lot of questions, not a lot of answers. And they're just trying to navigate their life with him instead of just growing in a revelation and thanking God for the experiences they've had along the way. (sighs) That's all I'm going to say for today. I'll save the rest for tomorrow. Guys, if this spoke to you, please share it. Share this. Give us a like, a review, a rating. God bless you guys. Let's just let's let's pause now and let's just reflect on everything God has said and, and let's allow these things to sink in. Come on, don't harden your heart to any of this. Ask God to reveal it to you. Begin to pray if you need to and just let these things settle in. I'm telling you, there's a greater place to grow in intimacy if you do not harden yourself to the Lord because I know life is hard, but God is better.